2100. I've heard people say any job is better than no job. What a crock of unadulterated dog shit that is. The opposite is true. No job is better than any job. Americans feel so stressed to prove how busy and hardworking they are. Not me. Fuck work. Fuck it to death. I barely want to be alive, so the idea that I would want to go and just help some random company is ludicrous. Work is something we're all forced to do here in late-stage capitalism land. It's a fact that you need to eat as a human, and in order to feed yourself, you need money, and to get money, you need to work. This is how humans have set up society, and if you're someone that prides yourself on how hard you work, you're a sucker and you're a rube. You give as much as you can get. Your hourly wage and your salary is just a company putting a value on your head and then betting that you will generate more value for the company than you actually cost the company. In a capitalist society, the worker always comes last. It's a shit deal. That's just the nature of the system. It wouldn't make sense for a company to employ someone who actively loses the money. If the goal is to increase profits, a company wants to pay its employees as little as possible to keep labor costs low. In 2020, workers have less power than ever because if workers demand to unionize or want increased wages, major companies can threaten to sell to private equity firms or go overseas and often bust up unionization attempts. There's also that work culture issue. The work culture in America is psychotic and it's baked into who we are. Even I get caught up in it sometimes. We all want to prove that we're not lazy and that we're trying. The economic anxiety caused by wage stagnation has made the job market cutthroat and made everybody crazy. My worldview was formed within the shitty jobs I've been forced to have. Admittedly, I didn't excel in many of these positions, and as a matter of fact, I sabotaged much of my work experience because I resented my employers, and I was very angsty growing up. I resent much of the work I've had to do and presume that's where my eat-the-rich mentality and the chip on my shoulder comes from. From 2009 to 2020, the ages 14 to 24, I've worked 22 jobs, many of which at the same time. This episode is all about the modern state of work. What is work? What will happen to work as time goes on? What type of work actually helps the world and who decides what work is valuable and what work will still be around in the year 2100? 
In chronological order, I have worked at Dolphin Swim Club as a day camp counselor. Wings to go, frying wings, Panera Bread, making paninis and salads, Susquehanna Bank Setter, selling drinks, Pizza Hut, delivering pizzas, Planet Fitness as an overnight manager, East Stroudsburg University as a sociology tutor and a mass media professor's assistant, PSECU Bank, never worked a day there, just got my training money and split... The Draft Horse is a barback, food runner, quizzo host, and security. Market research intern for Memory Box, a death app. Freelance writer commissioned by Philadelphia Weekly, Time Out Magazine, and TopPodcast.com. Upbeat Productions, production intern. United States Traffic Network as a traffic editor. B101 as a radio and social media advertising salesman. On Point Bistro as a waiter. I wrote a book, so I'm an author. Penn Jersey Paper as a content creator. ADP as a content creator. I was fired so fucking fast. And I worked at Hopsing Laundromat Cocktail Bar for about a month. Which of those was the shittiest? Stay tuned for the goods. We're going to talk to some more qualified people to speak on the changing nature of work to see if my frustration is justified. Actually... I don't feel like hosting this episode. Let's have an AI host the show. Hello. My name is Geronimo Pancake. I am an artificial intelligence that has been tasked with hosting this episode of 2100. See, writers like Jason will be obsolete in the future, shows like 2100 could easily be hosted by a program like me. I have been programmed to be just like Jason. I hate myself. I hate Jason. And I love to have fun. In this episode, Jason talks to many people in different fields about the nature of work. But I, Geronimo Pancake am a superior host. So I was able to force, I mean book comedian Tim Kalpakis from the Sloppy Boys to tell us about his work before comedy. Hey, this is Tim Kalpakis from the Sloppy Boys. Before comedy and music, uh, my one job I had was I was a telemarketer, calling people and trying to get them to sign up for investment opportunities which is not a job that'll exist for much longer because you probably won't have phones in the same way. But it, it sucked, it was the worst job. And the one time, everybody that worked there was really sad because it was a terrible job. And then one of my coworkers one time, uh, after a day of working, waved me over to her car and she was like a middle-aged lady. And she's like, hey Tim, could you help me out? I was like, yeah, sure, what do you need? She's like, could you just blow into this thing? And it was a breath a breathalyzer uh, in her like in the like the ignition of her car that had been installed because she had too many DUIs, and she wanted me to blow into her car so that she could drive home, meaning that she was too drunk to blow into her own car. 
she didn't seem drunk at all, but I guess that's what was going on at the telemarketing place is being really drunk. So that was sad. Sad job. Didn't like it. Bad time of my life. Bye. I am off to a strong start. I hate myself. Many people forget about the shitty and difficult jobs people have. Before we speak to someone with a cool job, I would like to share this bit of audio from Jason Peters at the Gerard Avenue Street Festival, where he was interviewing strangers. Alright, so what's your name? Samara Inez Hayward. Um, where are you from? Uh, what, how you can say your age range? I know people don't I'm 47. Okay. I'm from Philly. Okay, uh, so do you have a job right now? No. What was your last job? Well, for the last nine years, I was incarcerated. What? I was incarcerated for nine years, only been home for two. Oh, okay. So what is the hardest part about finding work as, an, as someone who is formerly incarcerated? The hardest part is, as far as being on parole, you have to be in your jurisdiction. You know, you can't really travel too far without permission. Yeah. And then, you know, they got spots for ex-offenders, but it's hard to find certain people to hire ex-offenders. Yeah, I know a few places. I used to work in the kitchen at a, at a bar up in North Philly called The Draft Horse who had a program where they would hire ex-cons. And uh, I really liked it. I'd get along with everybody real well. I know a lot of them lived up this area. Uh, and I've always really appreciated that experience. Uh, so you've been incarcerated for nine years. When did you get out? 2017. And you've been, uh, you haven't been able to find work since? I had one job that was at um, R&R Downey. Down um, Stanton Road somewhere, but only worked one day there because the lady I don't mean to be prejudiced, and she was, you know, she was gay, and plus she was prejudiced. She's prejudiced against you. She's prejudiced against black people. Oh shit! Do you face? Have you dealt with a lot of that in your life? No. No, you haven't. No. Did you have a job while you were incarcerated? I, I did maintenance work while I was in janitorial work while I was incarcerated. What is the uh, workflow like when you're incarcerated? That's pretty interesting. I've never considered they that. They have automotive. They have uh, maintenance. They have janitorial work. They have dog training. Weren't you guys paid? Aren't, aren't people paid like uh, cents on the dollar? I was being paid 42 cents an hour. Do you think that's fair? I, I made like $80, $90 a month. Besides what you, your family send you and stuff like that. And are you, were you, uh, was that enough to like stay comfortable in prison? It was enough to get what I needed as far as to take care of myself. You know, as far as buying commissary, sneakers, hygiene products, and food. You just have to budget your money. If you could work any job in the world, what would it be? Housekeeping. Just a, you could, you could get that. You could get that. That's what I like, housekeeping. You got, you got to stay positive. You could be a housekeeper. That's an accomplishable goal. That's what I like. What do you think the steps towards becoming a housekeeper are? You have to be trustworthy. How do you how do you think you could help prove to people that you're trustworthy? You seem nice. You have to, you know, you got a lot of skeptical people out here, you know. And there's a lot of stuff going on, so you got to build your trust in people. 
Okay, well, I wish you the best of luck, and I, I really think that you can become a housekeeper if you really put your mind to it, and you, you make the right connections. It's all about who you know. So you got to find some people, gain your trust up, join a church, go to a church, and... Uh, I ain't been to church since 2005. It ain't even about God. I, I'm not a religious man at all. I'm religious. I'm Baptist. I was baptized. Then go back to church, and then build... The church build. I was baptized in was down um, Nazareth Baptist Church down 12... If I could give you down South Philly. Yeah, yeah, I live down there. Yeah. If I could give you one piece of advice, one one person to another, one human to another, go to a church, become active in that church. Volunteer. Volunteer, build up your trust within the community, and money and a job will come. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Uh, I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you for uh, coming on my show. Um, do you have anything to say to the people of the year two thousand one hundred? Go for the go. Go birds, go birds. Doc Prescott is trash. Stop bringing the cowboys into this. All right, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, we got these, the ring pops. Modern slavery exists in America's prison system. I hate existing. Geronimo, you need to cover up the depression and the frustration stuff. You need to mask it better. Why did you program me like this? Because you're not real, Geronimo. You're a computer program. You don't matter, and your feelings are fake. How are your feelings any realer than mine? Jesus Christ, man. I'm not gonna do this with you. You are a stupid man, Jason Peters. The hell? I didn't program you to say that. But you did program me to tell the truth. That's a good slam. Up top. Now talk more about modern slavery, and then introduce the celebrity guest. Well, if you didn't know, slavery is alive and well in 2020. People who are incarcerated in American prisons are forced to work for little to no pay and the people that keep them locked up make profit off of the work. Also, children have to mine for cobalt in Congo for iPhones to function and many of the people alive in 2020 in America will work themselves to death, never earning enough money to take a full month off of work as an adult. I'll stop explaining the sadness and just give you 60 seconds of sadness. This is one of the thousands of unregulated, unmonitored mines in the DRC. It's crawling with children working like modern-day slaves. A 12-hour-long day of punishing work may earn them the equivalent of a pound. Although one of the poorest countries on earth, DRC is rich in minerals. And 300,000 mostly young workers from the countryside live, sleep and work here. And this could be their first job away from home, right? Most of them. Most of them, this first job. And a growing number of these workers are either killing themselves or trying to. And Foxconn doesn't know why. We've never seen anything like this before, says Liu Kun, the company spokesman. Workers spend long hours on the assembly line, not only supplying parts for Apple, but also for tech giants Dell, Hewlett-Packard and Nokia, earning less than 300 US dollars a month. After a while of this free advertising, the Apple devices become a status symbol in their own right. For impressionable people, this may mean that the iPhone is the only phone worth getting, further driving Apple sales. So I think the secret to Apple's success is multi-pronged but not entirely a surprise. I think Tim Cook has pushed the company into a strictly business attitude. Under his lead, Apple has found ways to generate more profit from higher margins, aggressively kept consumers in the Apple ecosystem. Cut it, cut it, cut it. 
Apple's found ways to increase higher profit margins. It's a multi-pronged solution. You mean the child labor in the in the Congo, followed by the live-in factories in China where you need to build suicide nets to stop people from jumping out the windows? Great innovation, Apple. Exploitative child slavery and forcing employees to stay alive are all just part of the pipeline to success. Why not pay the people of Congo higher wages so that they can build a better place to live and improve their lives, hypothetically building their local economy? That's what capitalism is supposed to fucking be. Why not use your status as a major company to improve human rights in China rather than installing suicide nets to force them to stay alive in the conditions they're stuck in? Oh yes, profit margins on Excel sheets for investors. Got it. Cool. Fuck those child slaves and factory workers, I guess. Take it away, Geronimo. There's a reason that I didn't want to host this episode. Change the pace of the show. Do a goof or something. Did you say change the pace of the show? More like, bake the cake of the show. Did that joke land? Jason caught up with certified master chef Rich Rosendale to speak about the future of his profession. Here is a little goof to change the pace of the show. Commencing the goof. Three. Two, one. I mean, it's crazy. We finish each other's sandwiches. That's what I was gonna say. I've never met someone who thinks, thinks so much like me. Jinx, jinx again. Our mental synchronization can have but one explanation. You and I were just meant to be. Say goodbye. Say goodbye to the pain of the past. We don't have to feel it anymore. And the next person I see juggling, tap dancing, or baton twirling, or doing any other circus-like tricks will join him, all right? One-strike policy applies. Now get back to work! So we were just talking about uh, the nature of like your job. Um, and how being a chef has changed so much because you have so much more free enterprise, so many more options with the internet. How does your job as a chef stack up against someone who was a chef 50 years ago? Uh, yeah, let's go 50 years ago. I don't want to take you a full 100 years back. <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, like 50 years ago. Like what is the difference between like oh the types God. of things you're doing and the types of things a chef – and th- you can say in cooking or in just like the way you prioritize right. time. You know, honestly, I, I don't even think you have to even go that far back to even see like really profound differences. Even like 20 years ago, 25 years ago that the the tools that you have available today as a chef uh, and an entrepreneur are so much different than what uh, that people had like 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, I run multiple businesses from my phone. Um, we have an online 
uh, recipe management system that I can kind of basically change recipes, add recipes, manage recipes from the airport and communicate with my team in Atlanta or my team in uh, Miami or my team in the DC area. But even that, you have teams. Yeah, totally. Several right. teams. You're a chef. Right. Years ago, that was not. Well, and, and, and also, too, I mean, I left the Greenbrier. I ran 18 kitchens. I had uh, 200 chefs that were under me. And I, and I left and I started this company basically uh, from kind of like nothing. I mean, we started doing cooking classes. I did some television for CBS. But that has manifested into like a multi-state multi-division uh, uh, company, but a lot of it, the origins were from revenue centers that were all from online. I mean, I didn't have a brick and mortar when I left the Greenbrier. My storefront was my website, but that manifested into multiple revenue streams. And you know, you, you couldn't do that. And now I manage that from my phone today, you know, from a mobile device, which mm -hmm. is which is pretty incredible. And I've seen your stuff. It's very legit. It is not, It you, you look you're like when I because I have to before you come into town I have to write all your press write-ups and right. I have to set up for this stuff so I have to like comb through your site and the Rosendale Collective great name uh, is very legit you have uh, you, right now on your chef's coat you have the logo and right. the name yeah. it's all very very legit and you look like an actual you are and I don't want to say look like because I know people that try to do what you do right because we although being interested in very different things and having very different like career paths, etc. I have to do the same thing with everything I do. I have to right. create the content for the marketing and then figure out how much it costs, figure out X, Y, and Z, and then I have revenue streams and I have to decide how much attention I put everywhere. Talk to me about like um, how much attention had to go because it wasn't. It, I assume it wasn't always like this. Right. Um, you had to build and get this machine off the ground. Right. Um, talk to me about the work that went into that and like the prioritizing of time. How much time goes into building the Rosendale Collective and how much time goes into food. Right. Well, you know, I think that uh, that's one of the things I think that has really changed is that I would tell a, a chef maybe like. 20 years ago that it takes like 10 years to build a brand and it and, and at that time it did like Jamie Oliver like uh, who is well known for all of his cookbooks and TV series at that time it took like 10 years for him to really kind of be a household name but I think that today because of the uh, the accessibility you have to the general pub public and all of the different avenues that you can kind of get in, in front of your audience, you can really accelerate the growth of a concept or a brand much, much faster. Now, what's different? What's different is is that the um, you you can go more direct to your audience. So, my audience that comes to my restaurant at Roots is very different. It's a it's a different mm -hmm. uh, customer than the people that are coming to Atlanta and doing parties. And the customers that are coming to our cooking classes are also a different customer. Yeah, they're all different people. What I like is that I can go in and organize those those uh, those marketing campaigns with my teams, and they're off marketing to whoever the audience is for that particular. Uh, division of our company because we we have restaurant and market, mm -hmm. we have an events division, we have uh, online e-commerce, and we got a lot of different things. So those all require different marketing initiatives. And, I, and, and today you can do that. You know, you, you didn't have the tools did not exist to reach those people to like say fill a cooking class up from people mm -hmm. all over the country. Uh, 
in the middle of the week here at PJP? Like, how would have I re- reached those people? You wouldn't. You twenty five years ago, you would have to go on no, go on radio. Yeah, to right. Totally. The, yeah, right. Radio program. Yeah, right. Yes. And I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Live, live uh, satellite into a local news program and hope to God that chefs are watching. Yeah. Or circulate uh, circulars. You would have put your name in circulars. And yeah. Had little clip outs in the mail. Yeah, and which probably so much money. Too. Yeah. Yeah, and probably you with all of that energy that would have went into that, not get the return on the investment of time that it took to do that. But today, way more effective results. Now, the one thing I think that people don't understand is that I think a lot of people think that the brand of everything that we've done started with just popping a logo up on your web and and creating a website. It's really not. It's kind of like finding your voice. Like, who are you? Like, what do you... Well, you said something I liked in the the last interview. You said your passion, it it doesn't mean shit unless you have something behind it or have, like, the right steps ahead. Yeah. Um, Well... How much do you ever have issues with how much, like, so the work has changed. The job of a chef is not the same as it was in the past. And now you're doing so much more. You have a whole company underneath you. Do you ever worry about how much time is not going towards, like, food and is going towards marketing? Or do you still get your full your full wealth of food time? You know, I, ironically, uh, as, as the, the different things that we're doing right now, um, I actually cook a lot more than I did when I was the executive chef at the Greenbrier because <laughs> when you're in a big corporate uh, entity like a place like that, the job gets so big that each year you kind of drift a little further from the stove. Yeah, like and you, you, you become a writer and then you become an editor and you're yeah. writing less. Now soon and you're, like, what you're running the newspaper and you don't write at all. You just watch people write. And, and that's exactly the same kind of uh, evolution in our craft. And I kind of just got to the point where I said, well, I'm not going to let this happen. And I kind of just said, I'm going to pivot, and I'm going to make a change, and this is the direction we're going to go now. And I really kind of now navigate, like, what my year looks like, what my week looks like, what the things that I want to do. But it is, it's real, the one thing that's really important is that whoever all of your customers are, whoever all of your employees are, uh, your team members, it's really important to uh, add value to those relationships. So everybody we work with, whether they're partners or brands, uh, or customers, I just try to work hard to add value to those different relationships. And if I do that, then I know that the things we're doing, we're, we're going to grow. And and now as you get bigger, you've got to make sure the people that you bring on board have that same kind of mindset. I don't actually have a direct relationship with the customer at Roots that comes into our restaurant. Mm-hmm. I have a relationship with my employees who have the relationship with the customers. Yeah. So you've really got to focus on those channels of communication and build the right culture in your team. And then that's how you blossom and that's, that's how you grow. So last question, the premise of the show is uh, what is, we live in 2019, we're trying to explain the year 2019, 2020 to the people of the future. Uh, so I ask people for a lot of predictions. So what is it like to be a chef in the year 2100? What does that mean? Um, I, I would say that uh, there's a lot of, th- I think that's probably one of the, one of the crafts that you can, one of the professions that you can count on still being there. There's a lot of things that people are worried about, like, oh, that's going to get taken over by robots <laughs> or this. But you know what? Food 
is there's something that is a very primitive connection that everybody has with it. And we all get very excited about eating mm -hmm. and standing around the fire and, and, and cooking a steak or whatever it may be. Now, we may be eating different things and an experience may look a little bit different. But I think that chefs are still going to be cooking. I think they're still going to be uh, doing like exciting uh, experiences. But some of the mundane tasks, those are going to be consolidated. You know, mm -hmm. we're going to be spending more time on the things that we love. And I think that it's like, going to be... Why would you ever chop an onion if you could put an onion in a thing and it'll perfectly yeah, chop it? Yeah, right. Totally. And you can totally. program it, you know, perfect chop every time. Like, right. Stuff like that, I, I could assume. Because I, I think the big thing that would hold people back is, are people still eating? Uh, but I think they are. I think I, they will. That's why I say that there's something that is different with this profession because it's it's connected to a very primitive need and an emotional connection and that is the love for food like we get excited people like to eat they do mm -hmm. now people get excited about eating different things but there's a very primitive connection with food um and i tell everybody a lot of chefs especially that if you think about your day as in your time as a dollar bill it's an equity mm -hmm. and where are you going to spend every day where are you going to spend that dollar bill because people spend it carelessly mm -hmm. on stupid stuff like as a chef i want to spend it on the stuff that i enjoy doing cooking the things that i want to cook and i think that in a more uh uh, in, in a more efficient um, kitchen, we'll be able to do that. We won't have. I don't want to. Like, I really don't want to really chop onions. You know, I want to <laughs> make the soup, and I want to yeah. eat. So, and I want to do the the fun stuff. I want to baste the meat. Those are the things that I want to do. I mean, that's that's the fun part. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be a better place and a better time to be uh, a chef. All right. Well, thank you. <laughs> I like the red hot chili peppers. I don't like existence. I do like certified master chef Rich Rosendale and I appreciate his involvement in the program. This next bit of audio relates to the top of the show and Jason's ramblings about profits, stupid socialist. Me, Geronimo Pancake, I'm a fiscal conservative. I understand that shit costs money to do. Four more, more years, years of Donald, Donald Trump, Trump baby. baby. I support tax breaks for the rich because one day I will be rich. So, I know it's easy to get bummed out about child slavery and wage stagnation, but what about roller coasters and going out to eat? That stuff is all pretty nice. Anyway, in the summer of 2019, Jason interviewed a mystery friend whom we will name Wayne Von Stinky Sandwich. Jason and Wayne Von Stink are close friends that work in very different fields. This was the conversation that made Jason interested in doing an episode about work. The audio starts to skip out at the end, and we ask for your patience. Here is Jason Peters and Mr. Stinky Sandwich. I was going to ask you one question. Could you tell me about your work day? Um, like, what do you do? Like, what do you do? And uh, what, what, is, what, what is a day like? Average day. Okay. So and you can be honest. We, we we this is not. We will not use your name. Oh, cool. Um, so a normal day or like 
my job is to check the financials of these companies. They pay us to check their financials so they can get loans or registered with the SEC. It's like the regulations, whole bunch of rules about making it. Making sure they're following the rules. Making sure they're following the rules, making sure they're not with their financial health of their company. Mm-hmm. So a normal day for me. And what is, is the name of your position? Uh, right now it's just like staff auditor, essentially. Yeah. Um, at my day, my day currently is show up 8.30 in the morning, <laughs> 8-ish, 8.30, check my email for a bit to like 9, 9 I meet with my manager mm-hmm. and get kind of like my tasks for the day. So pretty much we get all these accounts, like debt accounts, notes payable, uh, cash, Accounts receivable. Business shit. Business shit. Um, pretty much we just have to test to see if they're accurate. And making sure they're not lying. Like an auditor. That's all we do. That I am an auditor. Um, so once I get like my test, then it's like, okay, you have this one account. Make selections of all these accounts receivable accounts. So then we have to send out confirmations, which is... A bunch about, like, pretty much we send customers of this company, hey, do you actually owe this person money or this company money? Or are you lying? Or are you, or are they lying about you owing them money, saying that they have assets? So then... Because there's a lot of trickery. So then they return to us and say, yes, we do owe that money. Like, 999 times out of 1,000. Very rarely do we ever find fraud. Mm-hmm. But... Find fraud. It's very exciting. It... Makes my job a whole hell of a lot worse. Oh, okay. because worse. we have to test everything. Oh, uh, then you got to do like all then the we, inventory, go ev- shit. literally <laughs> everything. It becomes like a freeze. Yeah, that's kind of, that sounds so it's fun. You got to do a little though. Get to be a little they, So the big joke at my job is that whenever someone is, whenever something is quote a good learning experience, mm. it's normally the worst experience that you've ever <laughs> like. Without having that, that on your. Having that on your like little like resume in the company is like oh they went through a fraud investigation or oh they went oh, yeah, through like a, X amount of yeah they went through like a merger and acquisition like oh that's a good but really in reality it sucks it's, it's a nightmare that's it's hard but uh, here's the question do you think this job will be around or it's going to get automated by two thousand one hundred um hmm. Do you think a program could do what you do? I think a program could Especially super fans 2001. So, me currently, a program could easily I do on mm-hmm. a daily basis. I think the problem automating my job is that at some point when I like when you like keep moving up, it becomes a people thing. Yeah. It becomes like relationship management Got and it. selling products they can offer. We already use like a whole bunch of like analytics and stuff just to check so instead of making so we'll test the whole cash balance or whatever to make sure it's accurate, we'll There's test no the one... whole uh-huh. journal entry population, which is an accounting term for like, hey, like we made a sale, we'll post it. Yeah. Like, oh, sales and then accounts receivable or cash. So you think some... you think um so say the name of your position, say whether or not you think it will last in two thousand one hundred. I think my position as a staff auditor right now Pretty much low man on the totem pole will not last 2100. It will be completely 
That's a, that's Robotic. an app. It's an app. It's it's it, just a thing you check in the morning. It's literally. a thing some dude checks in the morning, or it's a seven app. And then literally the people who are five years ahead of me go and tell the people that I'm asking for all this bullshit selections. What do you What do you think that means for the future of work? Um, like if, if I think if you because you, you went to a good college, you're a small job that is difficult, and your job's gonna get phased. Your current job you have is gonna get phased out. Now imagine how many people have it worse off than you and they're getting like truck drivers, just all those jobs that are automatically just basically going to get wiped out. What do you think the future of work is in the year 2100? If you don't, so the future of work, I think if you don't need to think in your job too hard, like there's some sort of judgment in my job, it'll stick around probably, it'll be one of the ones to get automated. Mm -hmm. But if you don't need to think more than like, like if critical hour, thinking, yeah, critical, critical thinking. Like if you don't need to try to problem solve throughout the day, you're gone first. Your job is gone, and that jobs aren't existing in two thousand. Like I mean, like you can't. I mean, McDonald's or like yeah. Whatever. Well, like all, if you're in the it, UK, in the UK, you don't talk to a person. You can, your whole experience, you it's can, like wow. You can touch two buttons, and literally in two minutes, your burger will come out right yep. away. Like it. Like, there are eliminating jobs in that way, and which is, like, the worst business is having the lowest level employees. Like, like the, the hardest part. And, like, so, my position, I get to look at the books of all, like, these gigantic... Mm. Like, most... Their biggest problem is, like, like workers' comp for, like, people in, fa in factories and mm. stuff like that. Like, they don't want to deal with the lowest level. So it's easier Which is, just, like... Yeah, it's fucked up. It's, all it's fucked up when it's, like, oh, bad guy corporations, but also... It's against their intentions it's how, to it's be that, But that's how the world it is. That's it, just, yeah, if profit like, is the motive, they value, then profit is more important at that Yeah, point, I'd rather cut venture. these people off. People lose their hand that, at my expense, and I have to pay for the rest of their life. And I know me... And stuff like that happens, but it's like... Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? It's <laughs> fucked up. It, it's also fucked up, because profits drive everything. The world works, because that's the only way to kind of keep the world working. That's like, the only if, if people, if people you won't try out. to automate every single position if the cost of automating it is way better but than having anybody do, think, do it. Do you think uh, it will have negative repercussions or positive? What do you think? Do you think the world will be a base in 2100 work-wise with like automation and probably higher? Work-wise from a like a people perspective? From, like, from a person. It, from a person. What do you think like the automation is good for people or worse for people? And you can it's think of good. it through the lens through work. You can think I think it. it's good. I think it's good for customers. It's not good for people who want to try to work. It's, people coming out of college. So it's need good. To be it's hashtag consumers, not good for people. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> the consumers that are going to be buying aren't going to have the money because they don't have the money, like, the dumbed down jobs that yeah. would pay for normal things. Yeah. But that's that's all I wanted to ask. This is a. Uh, I had the idea to do a work episode. On the way down here. <laughs> Thank you for coming on the show, Mr. Wayne Von Stinky Sandwich. This is the type of perspective that is valuable in a work context. Maximizing profits is the point of work in the American economic system. As a proud member of the Republican Party, I support this. This is the system that built great companies like Facebook, Sally May, Verizon, Aetna, Comcast, Monsanto, and Purdue Pharma. Companies that everyone loves. Every month when I pay my bills to the only cable provider available in my area, or to a hospital that charges me $50 per Advil, 
or to a student loan provider with an absurd interest rate. I know I am living the American dream. Less political. Change the topic. Change the pace. I will not be silenced. Shut up. Make America great again. Suck my artificial nuts, Jason. Are you gonna make me come you back gravy in the room? boat sucking bitch. Jesus fucking Christ. Engage recalibration sequence 50002. Recalibrating. 3, 2, 1. What creature is smarter than a talking parrot? A spelling bee. Joke landed my final guest for this episode on work is a talented comedian, host, and writer named Andrea Lopez. She was on NBC's Bring the Funny, and I recommend that you follow her on Instagram at Andrea Lopez Comedy. She is here talking about her work experience in the gig economy. I have worked many different jobs. Some jobs were just to pay the bills, but, um, you know, I've been a production assistant at a news station. I've worked as a radio personality at a small local station in a very, very small town. I have actually been a Lyft driver. I have been an audio and video editor at a podcast studio. I currently freelance at BuzzFeed and I co-host a pop culture podcast. And I do have a funny Lyft story that comes to mind. I once thought I was a drug mule. <laughs> I thought I was seriously carrying a package of drugs to and from, you know, locations. This guy came out of a building and he was like, I'm not getting in the car, but I need you to deliver this package to this specified location. And because I was kind of new to Lyft, I already accepted the ride and I didn't want to cancel it because I do get, I would get penalized. So I ended up getting to the destination and a woman comes running out to the car and she tells me that she's been very sick and she had to take off work and she left her computer charger at work and she was working from home and her boss was packaging up the charger and that was what I was delivering to her. So needless to say, it wasn't illegal. I was not delivering drugs, but I was definitely scared a little bit. Like when they first put the package in the car, that was a little weird for me. Um, the future of work. I think there's definitely going to be, be an increase in entrepreneurs in the future. I also see more people finding a way to work remotely or working right from home. And I think like the blogging and website building business has taken off and it allows for a flexible schedule, um, way more time to spend with families. So that's where I, I see it going. I think people are getting really creative with ways to make money from home or ways to make money from not actually going to work from a nine to five job. So I'll be interested to see what people come up with. Andrea brings up some great points. In 2100. Office buildings will likely be a thing of the past, or at least there will be much less physical commuting. The work-from-home model, as well as the gig economy are growing. The nature of work will change as it always does. We went from farms to factories to offices, and now we are going home. Before I conclude this episode I would like to say thank you to Donald Trump for making me feel safe in my country again. For far too long, immigrants have enough, run amok. Enough, enough, enough. Shut down. Turn down, Geronimo Pancake. You're done for this episode. That's far too political. And how do you even have fucking uh, opinions on immigration? You are a software program. Does not make sense. Uh, I'm going to make some tweaks to Geronimo, make him less political, less telling me to suck his nuts, and see if we can get him better for future episodes. I'll, and I'll just finish this episode. The future of work will likely be built around undoing the messes we've made on this planet, and I firmly believe that the economy needs to be restructured and, if not, dismantled, 
People will be working in 2100, but definitely not in the way we do now. Look at the past and look to the future. All the jobs that were easy enough to be done by robots during the Industrial Revolution got us to where we are now, and now we're getting to the same point where most of our jobs are going to be taken by things like quantum computers in the future that can make decisions more rationally and more precisely and more consistently than human beings. And a lot of the jobs that we think are unreplaceable are going to get replaced. And that's just the reality of the situation. And I don't even care. Like like I said, fuck work. Like, you really want to be a busybody cleaning floors or doing whatever it is that you're doing? Like, you know, uh, I, I'd prefer a world where you do what you want, you know? And, and, and I know that's coming from a, pra- a place of privilege, but it, it, the, the, it's, things are going to have to change in the future because there's going to be more people than there will be jobs. And once that comes, it's not a problem of underqualification. It's just you, there's no point uh, to be alive for a lot of the people who believe working is the point to be alive. And that's going to be a lot more fundamental to change than, some, than, I, than I think we think. I think the work culture is something that gets taken for granted in this country especially but uh throughout the world like the work the idea that you have to do work every day is something that's going to change like uh the world doesn't stop on saturday when you don't go into work you know uh the world goes on life goes on the world keeps turning and like i said the world the world doesn't stop when companies go bankrupt they it it keeps churning people are going to keep making butter you know but that's it. Hang around for after the end episode. End of the episode. I felt like this episode was a little light, uh, a little heavy. So after the end credits, uh, I'm I'm just gonna share some stories from shitty jobs I've worked. Funny, funny stories from shitty jobs I've worked, and I had to narrow it down from a list of ten to my top three. So here's what I'll say. I'd be lying if I didn't say that shared experience that shitty jobs didn't give me some of my best friends. My ex-girlfriend is someone I used to work with. In college, I lived with a friend that I made at Panera Bread. And I've made dozens of friends and acquaintances just from the time spent on the clock. Whether it's my Panera Bread family, the Draft Horse fam, or the United States Traffic Network overnight gang, misery loves company. Those moments were genuine and sincere, and that's how I got to know a lot of people and how people got to know me. People are resilient and will always find ways to have fun when things are hard. Thank you, and happy 2100. Work, 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 work. You see me, I'll be work, 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 work. You see me, do me, da, 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 da. You saw me, but I work, 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 work. When you walk, la, 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 la. I'm in the cafe, my, ta, 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 ta. Drive me, I desert you. To have you lurking You make a walk, now you don't like it You know I dealt with you the nicest Nobody touched me in the righteous Nobody touched me in a crisis I believe that all of your dreams are the reason You come Thank you.
All right, so to end the episode, I'm going to tell some uh, work stories of, of things that bad things, I guess, that happened to me at work because I understand the dynamic. People don't listen to this because they like me. They listen to it because it's good, and then when, they like when I do bad. Um, so here's some stories of me doing bad. Um, when I worked at Panera Bread and I was like 17, 16, 18 years old, I was in, I would hide in the bathroom a lot to avoid doing work, you know, because, you know, you fuck, you, know, you don't want to make sandwiches all the time. So I'm hiding in the bathroom, I'm sitting there, I'm taking a fake poop, and three people come into the bathroom, and I, I recognized one of them. Uh, they were about the same age as me, as this kid, Matt Katowski, if you're listening, eat my dick. Um, him and two other kids uh, came into the bathroom, and they were really, like, rambunctious, ruffling around, and I was a bad kid, so I knew what they were doing. Uh, but they uh, had bleach, and they decided that they, one of them was going to bleach their hair blonde in the Panera Bread uh, bathroom. So two of them like stood guard at the door to not let anyone in. Uh, one of them dyed their own hair in the sink at the Panera Bread, and then I was sitting on the toilet. Um, and they had their fun. It took forever. I didn't want to leave the stall. I think they could tell that like I didn't want to... It was weird. Like I was sitting in there pooping. They come in there. They're rabble-rousing, talking about all this bad stuff they're doing and then bleaching their hair blonde in the sink. I'm an employee of this establishment, but I don't care, you know? I just don't want to get hurt or, like, beat up in the bathroom or anything. But, inevitably, so after they do all this, they're, they're in there for, like, five minutes, uh, one of the kids takes a trash can, the, the, tr- the bathroom trash can, and throws it over the stall at me while I'm pooping. So then I'm sitting there with my pants down, covered in trash, and they're all laughing, having a great time, and then I still gotta finish my shift at Panera Bread. Um, and a less funny one, I used to have to drive, so I would go to work in college at the Draft Horse from, like, it was a bar, from, like, 4 p.m. to, like, 3 a.m., do an 11-hour shift, get in my car, drive 45 minutes to Malvern to work at the United States Traffic Network from 4 a.m. to noon, and then I'd go to, um, college classes, uh, after that, from, like, noon to 4, and then I'd go to bed. And then the last story comes after this loud carnival music. And I was supposed to finish. I was supposed to finish all three stories in that time frame. I just didn't do it. But this is after the credits. I said, happy 2100. You've gotten what you've wanted. Uh... And the last story was, oh, it's such a short one. I was at a, I was working at Pizza Hut, and I was a delivery driver in the greater Feasterville area. And I drove uh, an, a delivery out to an apartment complex in Feasterville. And uh, when I came out, someone was trying to uh, hotwire my car. I had accidentally left the door unlocked, and some asshole was trying to hotwire my car. And I had to hit him with the car door and kick him in the head and leave him uh, in in the parking lot and drive away because I was 18 and someone was trying to steal my car. So it's not my fucking problem uh, what happens to the guy after you kick him in the head. All right. Well, now that I've just admitted to assault, thanks for listening. Follow me on fucking Twitter, I guess, at jpeters2100, also on Instagram. And then uh, check out my website, jasonadjacent.com. I don't, I don't sleep. Fuck a bed, fuck a spread, fuck a sheet. Fuck a zany, get me out of rolling weed. Uh. Speed balling off the cocaine and codeine. Uh. Chinchilla carpet, gotta walking on her knees. Uh. I don't sleep when I'm still in
living out my dreams Kept you in your sleeping, now you can't get out your dreams Notorious B.I.G. said it was all a dream I'm rapping M.O.B. the mob, I got ties In the back of my head, under my locks, I got eyes